following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. In Mark 13, you're going to see this is a very teachable moment. 
his disciples and Jesus are going to leave the temple. They're going to walk to the town of Bethany one night. There's a breathtaking view that's going to take place. A miraculous temple is set before them. And maybe the sun sets down behind it. The disciples are going to ask two questions that you ask and that I ask. One of those questions is, Jesus, when are you going to come and reign in your power? When are you going to do that? I mean, they legitimately want to know when Jesus is going to come and he's going to sit on that seat and he's going to rule and he's going to take away all their oppression and all their problems. When are you going to do that, Jesus? Second question is, what is the sign that you're going to do that? We're always searching for a sign that God exists and that he's real and that he's working and that he's moving. The disciples are going to get to the same spot in their life. And Jesus is going to give the disciples a really good truth for you and for me and for them on what it means to wait patiently and how it is so important for us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and implement it in our everyday life while we wait for Christ to come and to return to us again. Look at Mark chapter 13. We'll start in uh, verse 1. It says this. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples says to him, Look, teacher, <laughs> what a wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. He's talking about the temple there. No doubt they were beautiful. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will be not thrown down. What a kind of depressing thing Jesus says there, right? Dad, look how beautiful that building is. It'll be even more beautiful when it's burned to the ground. <laughs> That's what he says. He's asking his disciples to do something, and he's asking you to do it, and he's asking me to do it. And that is to not focus on that which is temporary, but focus on that which is eternal. The disciples in this moment are going to focus on something that is temporary. And it was a structure, which was the temple. And Jesus wanted them to change their perspective and realize that they were the temple and they were the eternal temple. If you're taking notes with me this morning, which I recommend. Number one is that you and I, as well as the disciples, are called to be eternal temples. Jesus visited the temple. This is the last time before he is crucified. He's finished up with his preaching and his teaching. He's done with all of the lectures. The disciples are going to be there. And they're going to learn from him as they converse together. And so what happens here is we have some quality time. Now, a couple of things we have to understand about the text. Before we can really start to apply it to our lives. There was a tangible temple here. That the disciples saw. That's the first verse. Do you see that? They looked at it and they said, Jesus, look at that beautiful temple. And it's the same thing that you do when you drive to church. You say, hey, hon, look at that beautiful church. Right? You say that to your spouse. You should. Because it's pretty. It's old and pretty. Anyway. <clears throat> the physical temple was magnificent. A little bit better than our church. Not that we're comparing notes. But it was an architectural wonder. If you were to go back into the Old Testament, you would see in the book of Ezra that it was built in the 6th century. Harold the Great honored the Jews. He remodeled it before Jesus was even born. Now, let me tell you about this place because it's phenomenal. The temple covered roughly one-sixth of Jerusalem. 
I mean, can you imagine if community gospel took up one-sixth of South Bend? That'd be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? It had a bunch of stuff in it. You have uh, a mix of buildings and walkways and porches and courts and massive 40-foot-tall high carved pillars from single stone. It weighed tons. It stood on a solid foundation. And if you were to go to Jerusalem today, even today, if you were to visit there, you would see the remains of the temple. You could see the exact spot that those disciples saw when they were talking to Jesus in Mark 13. There was a tangible temple, number one. And Jesus says, I know that you can see the tangible temple and I get it. But I want you to be, verse two, a never ending temple. I want you to see what it's all about when you have a relationship with me. There's no doubt in his mind that Jesus thought the temple was gorgeous, but he knew the tangible couldn't last forever. Never does. You buy a new car and it will rust and it will fade away at some point. It doesn't matter how well you take care of it. Something still happens. You buy a house and the foundation still at some point starts to decay. And Jesus knew that even our bodies, even that which we kind of rent for a season, it doesn't last forever. It is fading away. And so Jesus says there is a never-ending temple. It's an unending temple. And I want to be present with my people, Jesus says in the Old Testament. But I want to be present with them so much that I don't just dwell among them. I want to dwell in them. I want them to see themselves that they will go on much after the flesh has deceased. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It's not going to be on your screen, but it says, Do you know, and I want you to think about this. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, do you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? That Christ is choosing to dwell within you. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Christ's death and in his resurrection was the price that was paid so that you would be that temple. It's easy to get caught up in the structures of the world I know. There's television shows about it and Instagram pages about it and Facebook pages about it that have millions of followers where people will look at things that are tangible and say, wow, this is the greatest thing in the world. This is awesome. But it fades away. Jesus sees beyond what we see, and he begs us to have an eternal perspective on life. And I'm going to ask you that question this morning. Do you have an eternal perspective on this life? But after you die, something keeps going. Death is not the end, but it's the beginning. It is either the beginning for you to have a relationship with Jesus forever and to be with him or you reject Jesus Christ and you are separated from him for an eternity. And everything that we do here on this earth is for that kingdom, whether it's the kingdom we build for ourselves or the kingdom that we choose to submit and be with the Savior. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you see every single day as an opportunity to be a temple, to evangelize those who are lost? 
and edify those who are already saved? Do you see every opportunity in your job and with your kids and with your marriage and with your relationships that you have? To either evangelize to those people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and that he wants a relationship with you because God loves to dwell? Or do you see it as a chance to edify those who are already saved, to build one another up? It's a good question to ask. Everything I do goes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're having problems raising your kids, it's maybe because you have an improper perspective of the gospel and the eternal kingdom. If you're having problems in your marriage, it might be because you don't have a proper view of the gospel. If you have problems at your job, it may be because you don't have a proper view of the gospel. That my job as a Christian is to love the Lord God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, and love my neighbor as myself. <clears throat> when I go into a relationship, whether that be a parent relationship with my kids, or a relationship where I'm a spouse, or a relationship where I'm a friend, I am to seek and to serve. That means I give 100% to every relationship. I serve the other person because Christ served me. That's the essence of the gospel. He laid down his life for you and for me. It's what it means to have an eternal perspective. The passage keeps going, though. <clears throat> Three, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter was there, and James was there, and John was there, and Andrew was there, or PJ and J.A., and they asked him privately. They went away from the other disciples. I have a circle in my Bible because I think it's interesting. Tell us, when will these things be? <laughs> they don't get it. Jesus, tell us, when will these things happen? Make it clear to us. We're a little slow. And Jesus probably says, I know. When will these things be accomplished? Five, Jesus began to say to them, see that nobody will lead you astray. Six, Many people are going to come in my name, and they're going to say, I'm he, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, follow me, do what I do. But they will lead astray. When you hear of wars and of rumors of wars, oh, don't be alarmed, this has to happen, or this has to take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines, but these are the beginning of the birth pains. But you, disciple, you, person who's sitting right here as a Christian in Community Gospel Church and to the disciples, be on your guard. For they're going to deliver you over to courts or councils, maybe. You will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings, all for my sake, to bear witness before them. I'm an eternal temple, you're an eternal temple, but what do we do while we wait? Good question. Glad you asked. You work and you wait patiently with consistency. Write that down. Wait and work in patient consistency. One of the biggest traits that you can have as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be consistent. Say it, consistent. You should write it on your mirror in your bathroom. It's that important. To be consistent is so important. It was important for the disciples. It was important for you and I. Go back to 3 and 4. Jesus leaves the city, returns to Bethany. Some time has passed. 
They cross this place called the Kidron Valley, and they head up to the Mount of Olives. Interesting passage of scripture. I'm going to tell you why. Because the 12 disciples and Jesus were able to see the city and the temple. And Zechariah prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would stand on that mountain when he returned to set up his eternal kingdom. The disciples look at Jesus and they go, this is it. We're here. Front row seats to the end of the world. Right? Everybody wants those. And he says, we made it. This is a place where he is going to rule forever. Little did they know that Jesus was going to use them. And four disciples asked those two questions. There it is. When are you going to come to power and judge? Is this the moment? And what are the signs? What is it? Now, let's place ourselves as if we're there with Jesus in that location. Here's what you would see. You and I would be sitting there eating popcorn. I just can't about popcorn. And we would see the mountain range. That'd be fun, right? All right, you see the mountain range. And you would see maybe a peak like right over there. And you would see a peak right over there, right? See big mountains. And you would think to yourself, I could probably stand on the top of that mountain and jump Super Mario Brothers style, and I could land on the other side of the mountain, right? You would think that. That's what you think. Because they look close together, don't they? You think just a step or two from that mountain peak to that mountain peak because of your perspective. <laughs> Sometimes our perspective is off. Because the closer we would get, if we were to go down that mountain and go towards the other one, we would see that the, the closer we come to that mountain, the further away the other one is. And that's what's happening with the disciples. They're sitting there and they're thinking that two things that they knew, one, that Christ was going to come, and two, that he was going to come into power, were close together. They thought that. They thought, surely, that this is going to happen in the blink of an eye. But on closer observation, or football term, upon further review, they realized it was farther apart than what they had originally Jesus came, but the kingdom wasn't going to be set up until a later date. And that's what they're realizing in this moment. And so Jesus answers the question by answering the second question first. First is, for you and for me and for anybody who calls themselves a Christian, you don't need a sign for the fact that Jesus will return. You don't need a sign. He will come the same way that he left. He will descend because he is coming back for his people. That's all you need to know. You don't need a sign. The whole world will see it, I promise. When Jesus comes back, everybody will know. Some people will think it was aliens, but we'll know the truth. Amen? Amen. He says, you don't need a sign. There's going to be false prophets. Don't get me wrong. They're going to claim to be godlike. They're going to claim to have supernatural powers and authorities. And in the early church, there was a ton of them. We know that. In the book of Acts, we see that there was a bunch of people who claimed to be the Messiah and have messianic powers. The book of 1 John is written so that you would not be deceived against the false teachings that come. Even in our Christian bookstores and even in our online bookstores, we see that there's many people that claim things that are outside the biblical text. <coughs> you just do these things, then 
And you will see the hand of Jesus. Sometimes it's just not true. The only sign of Christ's return we need is a clear appearance in the clouds. Revelation chapter 1. You don't have to wonder. And then Jesus is going to elaborate. And he's going to tell you, secondly, it's going to get worse. You know this and I know this. And some of us as Christians, we look at it and we say, it doesn't have to. It should get better. But it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. This is going to be encouraging for you. But hardships are the signs of the beginning of the end. I mean, sometimes we should look at the news and welcome it. And be like, it's coming. It's, it's coming. Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. Look at all the things that are happening that point to the evidence of his return. Earthquakes and famines and political problems. Wars and rumors of wars. These are the beginnings. Some of you know this because you've watched your wife start labor. You get it, right? She's been carrying this baby for nine months. And all of a sudden, one day, she says, honey, we got a problem. And you go, what's wrong? She goes, I'm not hungry anymore. I'm, I'm in pain. Well, how do you know? Because this baby's going to kick out of my belly. We got to go to the hospital. And you turn into a NASCAR driver, and you throw her into the car, and you vroom, right? I never got to do that, but it sounded like fun. <laughs> And you say, here it comes with anticipation. She's in pain. She's thinking, oh, oh Lord, did she hate you at this moment? <laughs> and you drive her to the hospital, and you get to the hospital, and you say, help, somebody help, we're going to have a baby. And she's like, oh, I hope so. And then here it comes, like it's, it's pain, and then you experience pain, husbands, because she grabs to hold of your hand, and then she starts punching you in the face. <laughs> And the doctor says, it's okay, this has to happen and take place for the beautiful baby to come. And you're like, oh, he's right. And sure enough, you hear the cries of your newborn. And they put it into your wife's lap. She holds it. And you look at her and you say, was it worth it? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> You watch this kid grow, and it's a beautiful thing, right? That stuff has to happen and to take place. Those things have to take place. And just like in our world, the, it has to get worse before it gets better. So there's the answer to the first question that they ask. You have to be a patient witness. You have to work, and you have to wait patiently, regardless of all the struggles and all the situations and all the problems that you're experiencing right now. Those things are going to happen. You come up to me and you say, Jordan, I have problems in my marriage, I have problems raising my kids, I have problems with the job situation, I got all types of issues. I know. My answer to you guys is always the same. Cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, edify or evangelize to those who are lost, and edify those who are saved. There's the third thing. Be a guarded witness who works and waits patiently for the coming of the Lord with consistency. You are daily to become like Jesus Christ. The disciples were going to face way more worse things than we probably will face. But every trial, and I hope this is encouragement to you, every trial that you're in has a purpose and an opportunity for you to be a witness. If you are 
standing beside somebody who is unsaved, who's going through a trial or a tribulation, your opportunity as a Christian is to point them back to the gospel. And if you're standing next to somebody who is a Christian, who's facing a trial, your responsibility is to encourage them by edifying them and leading them back to the gospel. And going back to this truth right here that Jesus will come again and these trials and tribulations will fade away, but these things have to happen and take place so that you would be conformed more to the image of Christ and so that you would look forward more to his anticipation of his coming return. It's good news. And he keeps going. Verse 10. Look at this. The gospel must be first proclaimed to all the nations. And notice Jesus doesn't say that's my responsibility. No, he says this is your responsibility. This is your opportunity, not your obligation. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious. Or for you, when you face problems or trials, don't be anxious. Beforehand and say, oh, what am I supposed to say? Say what is given to you. And I believe 100% that what was given to these disciples to say was from their time with the Lord. It's just the same for you and me. When I face trials and tribulations, my quiet time kicks in full throttle. Here it comes. You know what to say because you spent time with me. Don't be anxious beforehand, verse 11, of what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it will be the Holy Spirit who is a counselor and a guide. Verse 12. Brother is going to deliver brother over his death, and father and his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. But you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But if you could endure... To the end, you'll be saved. There's the key word there. And put that in the text. Or put that in, circle that in your Bibles. That's what I want to say. Endure through evangelism, and it should say edification. That's what we cling to as Christians. The key doctrine in the Christian faith is the message of salvation, which is preached to the world. By the disciples of Jesus Christ. This was their mission. And this is our mission. This is your mission. This is my mission. That we would be on point and on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is simple. Some of you don't know it. You, you, you have clung to it. You're, you're in a relationship with Jesus. But you don't know it in regards to communicating it. The gospel is simple. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And Christ rose again, according to the scriptures, for our sins. And you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the gospel. Every Christian should be able to communicate that to anybody who may encounter. It should be on the tip of our tongues. It points lost people to a relationship with Christ. It points saved people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is something that the disciples in this text are called to, and you're called to it so much. Why? Number one, verse 10 says it's all happening. 
by the time Mark's gospel went out to his audience. Jesus' predictions had started to come true based off the prophecies of the Old Testament text. Pentecost is taking place in Acts 2. The gospel is starting to spread to the world. Rome is about to fall, or if it hasn't fallen already. We were talking about a 9 o'clock hour, but four of the five prophecies in the book of Daniel had already started to take place and manifest themselves. And people were on guard, and they had saw all the truths of the Old Testament start to come to reality. That's why you should know the Old Testament. You can point lost people back to the things that have already happened. Look at all the things that God said would happen and happened and have come true. And look to the Messiah that we know and that we love and that we cherish who will come again. It's all happening. It will happen again in his second coming. But at that time when Jesus comes again, it will be too late for those who have rejected. And that's where for us as Christians, it's so important that we have a heart for the lost. You have a heart for the people who are in your job, who don't know Jesus. You have a heart for your relationships with the people that you know that don't have Jesus. And if you're not in a relationship with anybody that doesn't know Jesus, you've got a problem. You do. You've got to know people that don't know Jesus. You've got to love them. you got to take care of them and point them back to this beautiful gospel that we profess. You need a relationship with Christians. They're going to bring you back when you face trials and tribulations. And the church is so important in these things. Because when you have hardships with raising your kids or marital problems or anything that's going on in your life, that's where the church kicks in and it says, you can do this. It's, it, it's all about the gospel. And God knows what we're going through and he loves you. And he's there for you. And it's possible. The call for you and for me and this is hard. Oh, man. Help me, Jesus. Is to adjust our attitudes. And that's what he wanted the disciples to do. Not everybody's going to go to trial for his or her faith. Not everybody's going to have to defend themselves or lose family members or friends or face death. But everybody's going to have to adjust the attitude for placement of where the gospel is going to be preached and professed. I think, here's the deal, because you're struggling and I'm struggling, right? I mean, everybody's got an issue. Kids, work, job, relationships, doesn't matter. Everybody's got something that's going on in their life. And here is what it all comes back to. is the reason that we spend time with Jesus Christ and the reason we listen to him is because at that moment, God will give us the words to say either from our private study with him and his word or from somebody else who has called themselves a Christian, who has given to us the things that they have studied from their time with Jesus Christ. When I'm in my word in the morning, and I think that's huge, I think you need to be in, in the Bible in the morning, I just do. Do you approach your time with God as this is a moment where he is going to give guidance for you, for your everyday activity, and guidance for somebody else that you converse with. Isn't that amazing? That you would be edified as well as have the opportunity to evangelize. Because God will give us peace in the words to say. It's endurance. But Jordan, I don't think you understand. I've lost family members because of the gospel. Some of you have. 
Some of you have come to know Jesus Christ, and it has caused divisions amongst your family members. And I'm sorry about that. Some of you, it's caused divisions with your kids. You've taken a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and some of you have raised kids, and they've said, Mom and Dad, I don't believe that at all. And some of us, it's caused distance and problems in our friendships. Some of you have thrown down the hammer and said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And you have a friendship at work or wherever the case may be. And what's happened was that person looked at you and said, nope, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Nothing. As long as you're going to go on that path, don't talk to me about it, don't speak to me about it, don't. Nothing. That's what the gospel costs us. It does. It stinks. I, I, I hate it. I don't know why, but it does. But I do know that God's truth is greater than any man-made truth. And God's relationship is better than any other relationship that we have. And if we're pointed back to the gospel, which we preach, which we confess, which we believe, and we're committed 100% to serving Jesus Christ, the relationships will heal. To believe in Jesus means we endure in hardships and trials and tribulations. And we pray without ceasing for our spouses and our kids and our friendships and all those things. Do you have a list going of people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? That they would come to believe in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a working list? <coughs> Do you have a list of maybe relationships in your life with Christian brothers and sisters, maybe it's your spouse or your kids, that would be restored because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus means we endure, we have perseverance when challenged and opposed. Some of you will suffer and some of you will endure hardship for being a follower of Jesus Christ. But be patient because God will give you peace and the words to say when it comes, I promise. He did it for the disciples, and he'll do it for you, and he'll do it for me. So, how you doing? Just honestly. I was doing pretty good, so I got here, Jordan. <laughs> I mean, when you look at that text, do you see yourself as the temple of the living God? Do you see the eternal perspective? I mean, whatever hardship that you're in right now, do you realize... Is it, is it that big of a deal in light of eternity? I mean, where are you? Do you live with the eternal mindset in the forefront of your brain? With the hardships that you face and the trials and tribulations, do you see that you are a kingdom, a son or a daughter of the Most High God in eternity? How do you place that problem, that trial in perspective? with the fact that we will live with Jesus forever? Are you using your skills and your mind and your words to preach the good news to a world that's lost? Do you live with eternity to evangelize those who are lost and edify those who are saved? When's the last time you built a brother or sister up who are gathered here this morning and just drop a text? Do that this week. Say, hey, I just wanted to encourage you that I'm praying for you and I love you and, and God knows what you're going through. It'll be all right. It's one of the best things you can do as a Christian. 
I think when the disciples hit their persecution moment, and Jesus is long gone at that moment, he's, he's up, he's ruling and reigning, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. I can just see that, like Peter looking at John, and people are pushing against them, and the courts hate them. And they, they say, how can you preach the word of God? How can you do these things? And, and Peter looks over at John, and he's like, you think this is really worth it? He's like, Peter, this is totally worth it. We saw the Son of God die, and we saw him raised from the dead, and we saw him ascend to the right hand of God. It's totally worth it. That's what we should say. The mission of declaring the end is a command for every single person that Jesus is coming you know it, I know it, we see the signs of it. Are we helping the world take that opportunity to enter into a relationship with Christ and point our brothers and sisters to it? Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, to evangelize those who are lost and edify those who are already found. You uh, are here in this moment, I, I know it, it's not that we have to call you down. It's not that we have to rile you up. You're just here, and we just need to understand how important it is to just be in your presence. To just understand that right now, in this moment, in this house, we are in the presence of God. Because of the fact that we've confessed with our mouth and believed in our hearts that you alone are Lord. And you have come and you've filled us with this thing called the Holy Spirit. And you've chosen not to dwell among us, but you've chosen to dwell in us. And so, God, we know that your presence is not far from us. It's near us. It's hidden in our hearts. Lord Jesus, there are people here this morning, including myself, God, who are struggling immensely with trials and tribulations and all the things that are going on in their life. There's marriages right now that are on the rocks. There's kids uh, who are on the verge of uh, going a completely different direction than what your word says. There are friendships, even right now in this place, God, that are divisive. Because we've allowed sin to enter into those rocks like water. Lord, right now, would you do something amazing? Would you remind us of the gospel that we have confessed and believed? That you accept us no matter what. You accept us with all of the baggage that we brought into that relationship. That you love us, that you care about us, and that you restore us in our broken state. And Lord Jesus, would you, would you remind us, even right here, remind your saints, me included, would you remind us that you sought us out. You came as a servant and you sought us out. And you're calling us to do the same. So God, change our perspective right now in this place. Change each and every single person who's gathered here right now in this place. Turn our minds away from ourselves and help us to focus on the eternal kingdom which you dwell in. To not live our lives right now selfishly. To not live in this spot where we just want what we want. But turn our desires away from what we want and into what you want. Would you do that, God? Help us to realize the people in our lives 
who are lost, who have never confessed and never believed in your name. Help us to see them clearly with our eyes. Help us to evangelize those who are lost and lead them back into a relationship with you. And God, would you do the heavy lifting there that we can't to give them the opportunity to turn from themselves and enter into a relationship with you? And Lord Jesus, would you help us to be an encouragement? Change our perspective, God. As we work and wait patiently, change our perspective, Lord. To be servants like you came to serve us. To serve our spouse 100%, even if they don't serve us. To serve our kids and, and to lead them into your word, even though there might be nothing in return for that. And to serve our friends and those people who are in our lives as acquaintances even. God, would you change our perspective just a little bit to where we go from maybe giving 50% or 60% to 100%. That we love these people in our path. That we love our neighbors as ourselves. As you loved us. And as we love you with all of our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. God, change our perspective. Help us know that in good times and in bad times, you're there and you're, and you're for us. You're not against us. You're working for the good of those who love you. Some people just need to be encouraged here this morning, God. We're self-included. <laughs> You just need to be encouraged that you're, you're there. Spur us on, as the Bible says, to doing these good works and these good deeds because of an act of worship, not because of our own selfishness. We believe your word to be true, God. We yield to it this morning. We stop and we ponder it and help us to place it in our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. You're a great God greater than anything that we could ever even imagine or fathom. We thank you and we praise you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sin, who rose again on the third day and who is ruling and reigning even now. We thank you. We praise you and we worship you. All God's people say. Amen. Let's stand together as we close this morning. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 